It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. And we are back. Another episode of the Take Talk Podcast, week 18 steve i'm your host brett whitefield this is steve o'rourke my co-host we are a week 18 steve i can't i was so excited to say that that i i, I got it out too early i wasn't even through my intro and i just was like <laughs> week 18 here we are though week 18 steve this is um uh for us this is exciting because it means life is about to get a little easier <laughs> yeah it means we're entering a period where we have about a month where the workload is nice and light for the playoffs yeah, nice, nice and light. Um, I will be working on the the draft guide here at uh, Fantasy Points, but it is a new. When anytime you're pivoting from one thing to the other, like I have a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for the draft guide right now. Yeah. I don't have many much excitement to chart coverages this weekend. So, <laughs> um, but here we are. We'll we'll get it done. We'll finish strong, and we'll provide you guys with the best data possible. Um, But Steve, it is the end of the season, though, which means the playoffs are here. We need to jump in and discuss the games that matter this week. We're going to do a game by game breakdown of the five games we've identified as the big boys. Um, Before that, dude, we got some things to talk about. Um, I want to start with uh, I think I want to start with David Tepper since it's not necessarily football related. Yeah, it is but not in the way the other topic is. Um, If you guys didn't see (laughs) David Tepper. who's getting a bad rap as a guy with quite a temper temper the temper uh, <laughs> he threw a drink on a on a patron at his stadium um a jacksonville jaguars fan because tepper was upset about the way that the game was going so um uh, it was right after bryce young threw an interception i'm sure the jacksonville fan said something to him steve we that's not verified by the way but i'm sure he did uh just because so th- do you think he like and maybe this was just my perception of it, but it kind of just looked like he just didn't even care what was happening. Yeah. And he just like was angry and it was just like, I'm throwing my drink and it went into the poor humans that paid $12 to sit in front of the press box in Carolina. And it's just like, he has just no regard. It just seemed like he's like, I don't care. I own this. I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm just going to launch this drink. And there's Brian, there's, some unfortunate people that just like all of a sudden it's like, well, it's sunny out. So I don't know why I'm getting wet right now. <laughs> I don't. So I was thinking maybe he just tossed it, but the fact that it landed on a Jacksonville fan is a little concerning. It's like, yeah, you didn't hit a Panthers fan. It just happened to hit the Jacksonville fan. It did look like there was some type of exchange going on there. Now, granted the Jacksonville fan from the video I saw, it didn't make what I would consider an aggressive movement until after the drink we did him <laughs> but which is um, fair which is fair totally uh yeah it was it was funny as like because tepper said like by the way his his apology was a total non-apology <laughs> he starts by saying first of all just want you to know i'm really passionate it's like that doesn't are you though yeah well, i mean well even if you are that doesn't mean yeah i'm passionate too i don't go around throwing drinks on people like i don't right you know, I haven't like rough someone up at the grocery store because I'm passionate about food. You know, <laughs> like what are we doing here? So Pat being passionate and being out of your control of your emotions aren't, that's not an excuse for that. So, uh, but dude, this is a guy who's he's fired five coaches in five years. 
clearly has a temper. Like, let's just get it out there. Have you heard the Goldman Sachs story, Steve? I've heard bits and pieces. <laughs> but lay it on me. This is a guy, David Tepper, owner of the Carolina Panthers, who he, you know, he used to work at Goldman Sachs before he made his billions. Um, felt like he was due a promotion. His boss at the time snubbed him of said promotion. Tepper eventually leaves Sachs, goes on to start his own hedge fund, makes all of his money. And then out of spite for his boss, he buys his family home. Uh, it looks like maybe it was a vacation home of sorts for forty three and a half million dollars just so he could tear it to the ground and spite the man and build a new home on it. <laughs> so this That's is a guy who like th- this is this is uh, quite the track record here. Like he's just passionate. He's just passionate, man. He just, pa- he's just he's passionate, passionate about screwing people. Passionate about rubbing your nose in it, you know, like pretty wild though. So- what do you Go ahead, well, it's just so funny. He's owned the team for five years, and in those five years, he's managed to turn it into, I mean, arguably, like the laughing stock franchise. Like everything's everything that's happened, <clears throat> anything that's good that's happened to the Panthers has been in spite of him and not because of him. And I think that's just it's just gross. What just the way he's operating it, the way he's doing things with the team, the whole all the rumors with. You know, the whole situation with Bryce Young, even it's just like it's just so massively dysfunctional and the whole drink throwing thing. The fact that I think most people were like saw it and were just like, yeah, I mean, he sucks. That's he. <laughs> we're yeah. not surprised. We're just upset kind of thing or we're just disappointed because it's like, really, yep. like there are people that pay pay. You make money off of those people that are sitting in front of you that are at the game that is a large source of your income and you have the audacity to ruin potentially ruin an experience for them you have no idea who these people are how often they make it to the games well you know all of this and to just like so blatantly you know separate yourself from the world and think that you can just do that is it's it's gross it's it's gross and it's just like it, it, I mean, he got reprimanded, but just it, the, oh, what dude. he's doing with that, what he did, what he's doing with that team is, it's gross. It's, it's disgusting. And I feel bad for Panthers fans. And I feel bad for the people that, you know, are paying money to go to, to pay money to support this team and inadvertently supporting him. He didn't even get reprimanded. He, the a fine he got, if you scale it to what he makes in a year, it would be like you paying $1. <laughs> Yeah, like if you screwed something up at fantasy points, like Steve, you owe us a buck. You know that was that was messed up that you did that. That was bad. You really bad. We're taking a buck out of your paycheck. You'd be like, okay, whatever. That's a dollar, but whatever. Oh, I think that's basically what they did. That's the equivalent of of the fine he got. Now, obviously, everything needs to be done within reason. So I'm not sure that it was more than a three hundred thousand dollar offense. But the idea that he was reprimanded is just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they kind of stuff in hand. Um, and, and listen, Daniel Snyder got what 25 years of being an a hole before he got ousted as an owner. So Tepper still got 20 more to go. Like we're, you know, oh, we're, yeah. we're good here. But uh, even even Snyder got to mostly go out on his own terms. Yeah, yeah, and and collected an insane amount of wealth in the process. So, yeah. Um. But so Tepper, the the thing, other aspect of this I wanted to get to is so he has been 
in my opinion, he and the media heads have been desperately trying to cover up the fact that he forced the regime to take Bryce Young. Um, yes. And before we get into this too, I feel bad for Bryce Young. He's in a terrible situation. I really liked him as a prospect. Didn't think he should have been the number one overall pick. That doesn't mean I didn't like him though. Um, I just think he's in a really bad situation. So I do feel bad for him. That said, it seems like when everyone around is chirping, you know, you know, Tepper got involved, Reich and McNown wanted CJ Stroud, and then they go that far out of their way to convince you it was unanimous. Like, that's what we can hear. It was unanimous. Everyone loved Bryce Young, dude. And then yeah. that coaching regime gets fired. And then the guy you would think is going to be the interim head coach also gets fired with them. The GM's gone. Like, no, it obviously wasn't unanimous. <laughs> you know, yeah, very, you basically very got rid of everybody that disagreed with you. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he went with the my way or the highway, and yep. Uh, when operating a football team, that's not the way to go. No, nope. Should be a collaborative effort, and the owner should have his voice weighed a lot less than the guys who actually do football for a living. So, um, and credit to Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones actually does football. Like I know he's one of the owners that's more involved. Jerry is actually grinding tape though, and checking right. out analytical profiles. He's his opinions at least founded in something where Tepper's just like, "Oh, I got a I got a great feeling about this kid, Bryce. Let's yeah. let's get him. He's my guy." You know, everyone's <laughs> saying he should be number one, so we're gonna make him number yeah. one. Yep. Um, all right, we can move on from Tepper. I do think the NFL should probably be a little more proactive with with handling this. You know, NBA gets involved when owners make up make bad decisions all the time they yep. step in and they, they guide them they provide counsel to them I, the nfl needs to do this because five coaches in five years is a bit much forcing your gm to draft a player that they don't want is a, a bit much now he's throwing drinks on fans like i'm not saying he needs to be forced to sell the team but the nfl needs to put down some clear boundaries of like hey well, why don't you let this team operate you know without yeah. you being so involved so yeah um you're basically a bank david just just remember that <laughs> Yeah, that's that's what you're here for. Yes. You're here to make sure everybody around you gets paid. Yep. <laughs> All right. The next thing before we get into the games, the Dallas Detroit game, the the Lions headed to Dallas and they lost in tragic fashion 19 to 20. Um the refs really screwed the pooch on this one as the kids say. Um this was a for I I don't know if how you wouldn't have heard about this already, but if you haven't <laughs> The, the Detroit Lions ran a trick play where they threw a two-point conversion to Taylor Decker that would have gave them a 21-20 to 20 lead with 23 seconds left. Very important yep. to say that because a lot of people are saying that the Lions would have, like, Lions won. No, they didn't. It wasn't over yet, but it was probably probably would have won, but there were still 23 seconds left, and, and Dallas still and had I think a couple Dallas had, yeah. Was it three timeouts or two? It, whatever. Like, they had, yeah. they had enough ammo to get into field goal range for sure with the best kicker in the league, by the way. So it's not even, it's not guaranteed the Lions would even have won that game, but they for sure would have taken the lead. Um, Dan Campbell and his staff laid out the play for the refs before the game. It was even drawn up on a, on a official, not like a scratch piece of paper, the same type of play charts they use for the players. It was drawn up on a play chart. They went over it with the refs. Taylor Decker comes in the game. There's clear video of him reporting. The NFL's even confirmed Taylor Decker has reported or reported, but the refs got confused. They identified Dan Skipper as the reporting lineman. They throw a flag, discount the two-point conversion. The whole thing was a mess. Um, but this is a, a 
a crew, a official crew that's been on the bad side of a lot of calls this year, Steve. Like the the highlight tape of their messed up calls is insane. Every controversial yeah. call this year has been this official crew. They didn't even they didn't make it make it a week before <laughs> they were back on the chopping block. They didn't make it right. an entire an entire week. Because the Philly game, right? Uh, I thought it was the Kansas City game. Kansas City Packers. Oh, yeah. That, well, that was more than a week ago, right? Oh, yeah. was it? Either, yeah. yeah. The, oh, yeah, the Philly game. That was it. Philly there's, game there's two so weeks ago. Yeah, there's been five instances in the last six weeks of the season involving this crew. It's it's And they've all been game-affecting like game affecting decisions. So... Uh, they all, oh the Kansas City Cincinnati one was a big one too. They messed up, but anyways, this crew is terrible. And I wanted to point out a lot of I haven't seen this talking point a lot, but Brad Allen, the head official or head ref, whatever they call him, yep. um, he's the only referee in the NFL since 1962 that got fast tracked to his position. So typically in the NFL, you have to go through like you have to work your way up the ladder, like start as yep. a linesman and then. You know, maybe you're a review booth guy, and then eventually you work your way up to head official. This guy got fast tracked. He joined the NFL and went straight to the top right away. And he's happens to be the worst official they have. So, um, is that a coincidence? Uh, I don't. I don't think it is. I think not. Yeah, it'd be like me hiring a new guy tomorrow with no football background, and being like, "All right, you're charting coverages now. That's you. <laughs> all like of you're them. gonna, yeah, all of them. You're gonna do the most complicated thing we do, and you're gonna do all of them." And I just expect you to be good at it <laughs> yeah, with minimal training. So it is, that would never happen. Like it would take years for a guy to get to that level here. Um, so I don't know what the NFL is thinking with this guy. And then he gets rewarded with doing a playoff game. Or not that has now been right. a week, a week, 18 primetime game. Sorry. But they were saying they were supposed to do a playoff game, but they got pulled off of that, which Did like that. Yeah, they they announced that pretty soon after the game. I think they announced it on Sunday or Monday that they had been pulled. Which again, like everything around this has just gone so south, and there's it there's so much emotion from both sides of it, obviously. But like it just, I've seen so it, it's gotten so deep in the weeds of like who thinks what happened. I still think it's pretty gross misconduct on the ref's part just because all the video shows that, you know, pretty we can pretty confidently discern that Taylor Decker did report. Everything points to that happening. And it it seems as though either Brad Allen was in a rush and did not care or did not pay enough attention to what was happening, which is bad. Or he just did, or just like he didn't care, and he just ran with what he wanted, and it's just like I can understand having and missing a holding call, or even like the tripping penalty that happened not you know two minutes earlier in the game. That's even a bang bang play where yes, it probably should have been you know looked at and discussed, and they should have changed it because it wasn't on Dallas. But even that, it's like it's a game that it's a it's a play that happens in the middle of a play where these refs are responsible for watching every, you know, every single guy on the field and things kind of get lost in it. But with this, yep. this is a procedural thing. This isn't 
in the in the heat of the moment and of a play. This is something that's happening basically in between plays, and it's something that like needs to be taken time with and make sure that everything's right. Yeah, and he just didn't do that. And I that's just I think that's what the most frustrating part about it all is is that it's such an easily avoidable mistake that you know it's it's hard to hard to come to grips with like what happened and why it happened the way it did. And then for the NFL to kind of like double down and agree with Brad Allen, basically by like sending out the video to all the teams saying like all, you know, like, Oh, this is what needs to be done. Even though like you can see that they're doing what needs to be done the right way. And I don't, and I, I hate the talking point of, well, the lions were trying to deceive the Cowboys by sending three linemen to Brad Allen and, that's what they yeah. get for trying to be deceptive. It's a trick play. Everything about that is deception. They do. There's and deception. Every team does it too. It, they do it in different ways, and you don't really ever see this happen. At least not again. Not right. a procedural thing. And it just it's it's gross, and it, it's it stinks that that's the result, and that's the talking point of what was a really really good game, and like a real like really should have the NFL community looking forward to you know, a competitive playoff matchup potentially between the Lions and the Cowboys that looks to be like something that could line up. And instead, yeah. now that now that it's gone completely the opposite direction, it's the only talking all only talking about the refs and it just yeah. like and and then I mean, I, I don't I'm not going to say the person's name, but I saw like something on it of like, well, well, well it doesn't matter because, you know, if they had report if they had reported the right guy they would have uh the cowboys would have seen it and they would have defended it well look at what look at what these players said after the game are you talking about Emmanuel was, <laughs> yes i am and he yeah he was like look you, you don't know, want to they, say the, it, the, I, yeah the reporters asked him asked the players after the game like if he if they had said this guy was reporting would what would have happened they were like we would have defended him because no. obviously that's so dumb like yeah of course like no yeah. nfl player a person who's very prideful in winning, very prideful in yeah. what they do. No NFL player is going to be like, "Yeah, it's a good thing that they messed that up because if they had, even if they had said it, you know, we we would have messed it up and they would have gotten it." Like, no, that's it. Just it. Everything's gone south. And also, I want to address that every anybody and everybody who is saying that it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter who reported the lines were in a legal formation. Stop talking about it. You don't know what you're talking about if that yeah. is one of your talking I, points. That quickly died, I feel like. People did try to go that angle, but then it died quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, it. oh, it's it's still out there if you, if it? you dig it. If you, I mean, not from... From Cowboys fans, I'm sure. Yeah, not really. Yeah, not, not a ton from, like, big talking heads, but from, you know, fans, it's still getting talked about. And I just, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a thing. It wouldn't, it was not an illegal formation if the right guy was reported just get that out of the way it's done it's over with but yeah it's just Um, like it's it's just too bad that it was tainted the a really good game was tainted by this and is you know completely flipped on its head yeah because of like guys like emmanuel ho saying what they said um i do appreciate the former players that have stood up and said it wouldn't have mattered they weren't covering them either way because for one you can't hear like you can't actually hear the announcement on the field it's almost more for the fans like or it's a procedural thing where it's like we're announcing because we have to but like 
everybody that's been involved in situations like this said that you don't you don't ever hear the announcement you just know somebody's eligible that's not supposed to be um right. and then secondly a bunch of like former line i think richard sherman actually came out and was like dude we they wouldn't have covered him anyways they no one ever does like that's that's why the play works is because right no no one covers the the lineman that's going out for a route that's why usually when they when you run it it works um the lines have run that play before too by the way and it's never not worked they've never covered once covered the guy leaking out so they've run um, it almost once a season at this point and like yeah i think Campbell got his first win on that play i'm pretty sure um was it against i know they ran it against the seahawks in his first year yep they ran a similar play to Panay last year for the first down to clinch a game. It was to the other side, though. Um, yeah. And if he was in the flat more, it, like where Decker ran more of a curl, Panay ran like a flat route. Um, but yeah, they, they've they've done these plays a lot. So, um, and it never gets covered. So whatever. Um, we should move on, though. Let's get into real football discussion. Um, I've identified five games that I think matter a lot. There are, of course, other implicating games here and there and we'll get to what they mean but we're not going to go we're not going to break those games down but to start let's go to bill's dolphins this game is win it for the biscuit um it is in being played in miami so i would say slight advantage to miami there however the bills are kind of rolling right now aren't they yes, yeah they are. yes they are um, they had a rough offensive day the other day but the raiders defense is playing crazy right now so um that is who they played, right? Why is my brain failing me? I'm like, it wasn't the Raiders. It was, who did they play? I'm, I'm broken. The Patriots. Sorry, yeah, Patriots defense again. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Out of their mind right now. So they struggled offensively, but they still got the job done. This is a winner take home game for the Bills. So if they win, they are in the playoffs. They win the division. If they lose, there's a good chance they don't make the playoffs at all. Or I should yeah, say, good so chance. if. They- there's a chance they don't make if, the playoffs at all. If they lose, they would if need the Steelers, the Steelers. If they lose and the Steelers win, the Steelers make the playoffs and the Bills do not. They need so they would need a Pittsburgh loss or a Jacksonville loss or a Houston Indianapolis tie to clinch a playoff yes. spot. If they lose, and Pittsburgh is playing the Ravens, who have nothing to play for uh, this week. And the Jaguars play a division game. I can't remember who it is. Tennessee. They play Tennessee. Tennessee is they're playing hard still. Uh, I know they have only won what five or six games. They're playing hard though. And Vrabel is definitely going to go out of his way to try to ruin the Jaguars season. So yes, I wouldn't say it's a layup for the, especially the way the Jags are playing right now. They're not. They're not playing well. So, um, yeah, I. There's a, a lot of scenarios there. What do you think of this game, though? The Bills versus the Dolphins in Miami without what Jalen Ramsey's out. Or no, he's not. Sorry, Xavier Howard is out. Yep. Uh, I mean, so we've already, obviously, they already matched up once earlier this season. Buffalo won 40 to 23, I believe. Um, yeah, this is, this is a really exciting matchup because Miami – had their struggles against winning teams have been noted big time. They've, yep. you know, they've beaten up on bad teams. And when it comes time to play teams with winning records, they've struggled. They've, you know, been kind of picked apart and, you know, their def- their offense hits points where they kind of stall out and it just, you know, 
like we saw it last week, they lost 56 to 19 to the Ravens. And that's just kind of been the course of their season is they take advantage of bad teams. And when it comes to good teams, they either keep it close and lose, or they get the boat raced out of the game. Um, I, I, I think that Buffalo ends up pulling this out. I think that some of the things that you're seeing with Tua are, I don't know, kind of concerning in the sense that like, I think we're just, I think we're at the point where he is a guy that you win, not because of, but with like you win with him, you don't with win because of him. And you can see, you can just see it, you know, the going up against good defenses, he'll have moments where he, where the offense comes alive. It looks to be rolling, but then they have these times where everything just kind of crumbles and it's, you know, partly because of the offensive line too, it gets under pressure, but also Tua just starts to, I don't know, even just like start forcing things. He doesn't start, he doesn't see the field as well. It's, it, it just, you know, starts moving too fast for him. And he gets into these situations where he's, he, you know, he goes to stretches where, you know, they have three, three and outs in a row because so much of his productivity hinges off of the success of the run game. And that's what these good defenses are doing is they're shutting down the run and they're basically saying you can only drop back and pass against us. And that's not where Tua's strength lies is not being, he's not, you know, he's not going to be the guy that's going to pure drop back an entire game and, you know, will a team to victory against another really good team. And I think that Buffalo's defense has started to kind of find a groove. They've started to, you know, gel the pieces together that they have after, you know, a myriad of injuries on that, on the defensive side of the ball. And the linebackers are starting to, you can see the communication starting to work out and they're all starting to meld well. And it just, I like Buffalo and they're rolling. And this is, you know, I think that Miami's in no matter what. And not that, not that Miami's not going to play for the division, but I just think that, the Bills can't afford to miss the playoffs. And I yeah. think that, that the, the it's the like ca- caged dog in a corner type situation where they're going to pull out all the stops and Josh Allen, his turnover, his prone to turnover has been better the last mm. few weeks. And I think that that'll carry through in this game. Yeah, I, uh, so you're taking Buffalo. I'm also going to take Buffalo. Uh, we got this game back in week four, 48-20, Buffalo won. I will say that these both these teams are very different versions of themselves since that moment. Um, and I'm going to have a contrarian take here. I think it's funny because both these teams are probably known for their finesse. Yeah. You know, they're you know, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell and Stefan Diggs and two quarterbacks that like to let it rip. Um I think this is going to come down to trench warfare, man. Uh, Buffalo, they have been pounding people on the ground lately. They're yep. uh, at 2.22 adjusted yards before contact per carry the last five weeks. Insane. Miami is right up there, too. One of the best running teams in the league. They have not been as efficient of late. But um, by of late, I mean last five games than they were early in the year. But they're still a very good running team. Conversely, yep. Buffalo's offensive line as a whole is probably playing the best it's ever played with Josh Allen at quarterback. Now, I know if you look at just the raw data, their pressure rate is still high, but you have to adjust for the fact that Josh Allen holds the ball for over two and a half, or sorry, 2.8 seconds per dropback. So um, when you adjust for that, this offensive line, they actually pass protecting pretty darn well. And then we, we know about the run game coming alive. Um, 
I also like Buffalo has some emerging targets, Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid have played well of late. James Cook has really established himself as a pass down weapon, which is what I thought he would be in the NFL. It took him a while to get there. Um, I think his issues in pass protection kept him off the field early in the season, but now he has become a very reliable check down option, mismatch option for Josh Allen and the Bills. I think he's he's a little bit more valuable than we initially thought. And then Miami on the other side, like they stopped the run really well. This is going to be a strength on strength type deal yep. here with Buffalo wanting to run the football and Miami being good against the run. And the flip side, Buffalo's been terrible against the run of late. Um, last six weeks, not even, a, not even of late. Well, yeah, whole season. Uh, yeah, they've had these weird moments where it's like it's good for a couple games and then they get really bad again. Um, it's that's probably actually schedule related. I'm sure against bad running teams, their running defense looks decent. Um, but against good running teams, they've been horrendous. So Miami definitely checks that box. This I just think this is going to come down to trench play. Um, Buffalo as a unit getting – I think their offensive line is just playing so good right now. And Miami's offensive line is banged up. They have not played as good of late. I think maybe you see um, – I, I think you see Buffalo dominate the trenches. And, and their defense. That's Miami's defensive line is banged up too. They just lost Chubb. They've been without Phillips. Oh, I, for, I forgot about Chubb. What's yeah. weird is when they lost Phillips, their pressure weight went th- rate went through the roof. Like they actually got better. They started blitzing more though. Like yeah, um, I think their blitz rate almost doubled after they lost Phillips, which makes sense. But Van Ginkle and Chubb were locking it down. But now that Chubb's out, that's really scary for them. They don't have a lot of talent right now at the edge position. So. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. That that makes me feel even better about Buffalo. Yeah, it just more it just concerns me that if you can't get pressure, like consistent pressure on Josh Allen, and he's allowed to sit back there and you know think through everything, you know have guys scramble. come over and scramble drill. Yeah. It, it it could be a long day. And Miami's interior defensive line is you know is solid. They still have Sealer and Wilkins, but against Buffalo, you need. You need some speedy edge guys who can keep Josh Allen under contain. And now they're down, you know, they're down their two best guys. And that that's concerning because that makes me think that Josh Allen can can take control of this game with his legs or with his arm and just, you know, create out of out of um, out of scheme and, you know, do the things that Josh Allen is known to do. And that that part concerns me of they if Buffalo can control the trenches a bit in the run game and also be able to protect Josh Allen, I don't see how Miami can keep pace with them because again, Buffalo, I think Buffalo's defense is playing well. And I think that they'll, they'll force, you know, a couple punts, you know, maybe a turnover here, but I think that they'll have um, Miami's offense on the ropes at times. And I just, I just don't know if Miami can consistently stop Buffalo on offense. Yeah. Agreed. All right, let's move on. I don't want to spend too much time on the Jags-Titans game, but it is important. We're in a weird situation where three of the AFC South teams are in a win-it-and-in situation. So that uh, that is very, very interesting. The Jags are in the driver's seat to win the division right now. No, they could still yep. lose that division. But um, So if they, if they win against the Titans, they are in and they win the division. There are yep. some scenarios where they get in still if they lose. I don't want to – those are like way down the totem pole. They're, 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 I'm looking at them right now. It would take a lot for that to happen – for them to to lose and get in. There's one scenario yeah. where 
there's one scenario where they can lose and get in, and that's if Pittsburgh loses and Denver loses and Indy Houston doesn't end in a tie. Denver's officially ruled out, though. Yes, yeah. but yeah, yeah. yes, but um, I don't know. It's it's in there, but it would yeah, take yeah. a lot for them. Steelers to lose would have to lose. Indy Colts would have to end in a tie. I think is you're right. Um, all right. I I do think the Titan, I mentioned earlier the Titans are going to play hard because it's Vrabel. Yada yada yada. Yeah, I, I I think Jacksonville probably does enough to get this game done though and win the division. What do you think? Um, if Trevor Lawrence plays, I'm not worried. If Bethard ends up getting the start, which I can't imagine that they would go into, you know, it'd be absolutely dire straits. Like Trevor Lawrence's arm would probably have to be falling off for them not to play yeah. Trevor Lawrence and put Bethard out there. But I, it's more of Tennessee's offense. I don't think has the juice. No, to it's no longer Derrick Henry month. No. December, January used to be Derrick Henry's months, and it's it's no longer that way. Tennessee's offensive line is so bad. It's oh bad. It's it's a it's a it's a struggle for them. But you know, both yeah. drop back pass and running the ball. It just it, you can just see that it's like it's painstaking to watch their offense because it's either you know it, it what it's been it's either been Will Levis dropping a bomb or them going three and out on you know yep. Two, two two yard carries in a row and then an incomplete pass. That's been kind of the way their offense has been operating. And Jacksonville's defense, especially the way Josh Allen is playing on the edge, I think that it's you know I don't even think it matters what their offense does. I think that their defense is going to be able to keep um, keep Tennessee at bay enough that you know they could win that they could win this game sixteen to six. Sure. Um, one thing that's come. Like a revelation with the Jags offense since Christian Kirk has been hurt is it's a consolidation. Like it is basically Travis Etienne in the run game and Evan Ingram, Calvin Ridley in the pass game. They're not really throwing it to anyone else. Those guys both their top ten in targets over the last three weeks. Now Ridley's been very inefficient doing so. I think his yards per route runs just like one point four seven. Where Ingram's been one of the better tight ends in football this year. Um just he's over a hundred catches on the season, I think, which is crazy. Yeah. He's just one of a few few tight ends to ever do that. Cool milestone for him. Um, but the, the consolidation should help them against the Titans secondary that's been very soft. They're very banged up. Um, I think maybe we get one of Trevor's best games of the season this this week. So, assuming he plays, of course. Yeah, they could use it because they need Christian Kirk's clock is starting this week, so yeah, it's um they need it back. That news come across Twitter, so that's you know. Big for them if they, you know, assuming and if they get into the playoffs, that changes the complexion of their offense. And yeah, I just, yeah, they've also stopped, yeah. uh, they've started actually targeting Ingram down the field, which I think is big. Yeah. So much of it, so much of Ingram's targets have come on screens this year. Screens, sit downs, flat routes. It's been, it's been weird. And it's nice to see that they needed a reliable over the middle guy from out of the slot that. The, the role that Christian Kirk has occupied, and they've filled that in a lot with Ingram, and he's, he's, it's paid off. And so, yeah. I think that's been that's been a big development. And you know, they they're gonna. The only thing that I could see that could work against them is their 
commitment to the run game and Tennessee's Tennessee's good against the run. It's one of the few yeah. things that their team does really well is they do really well against the run mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. They, they won't, they won't stop running it. They're not going to, they're not going to pull away from the run game. And that's the only thing that I could see them getting into trouble is if they try and really get in, pound the rock, it gets stuffed. And then all of a sudden they're getting behind the sticks. But again, the mat, I think the matchup that, ends this game is the defense Jacksonville's defense against the Titans offense. Agreed. All right. Moving on, moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Carolina Panthers. This game is being played in, in David Tepper's Carolina Panthers stadium, bank of America stadium there. Um, I think this is an easy slam dunk win for Tampa Bay. It does have playoff implications yeah. though. Cause if Tampa wins, they win the division. Yes. Um, it's another weird one though, where it's like it's a fence game. If they win, they win the division, and if they lose, they're out of it altogether, which is just kind of funny. Like there's no margin yeah. for error here. Thankfully, they get probably the worst team in the NFL in the week they need to clinch. Um, I don't think the Bucks have any issues rolling through Carolina here. In fact, I would say we might even see a less committed Carolina team this week than we have the last couple. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's much to talk about this. It, it, no, if not. Carolina were to pull this off, it'd be an it'd be an incredible collapse by the Buccaneers, and I just yeah. I can't see that happening in any way, shape, or form. I'll just say this one note on Tampa: they, you know, it's been a a Baker resurgence. David Canales looking to probably be one of the next big head coaching candidates in the league after what he did with Geno Smith, and now Baker Mayfield. But early in the year, it was all Mike Evans. He's great. We all know he's great. Chris Godwin, though, had not looked like himself until recently. Um, and I know Canales said in a press conference exactly three weeks ago that he wanted to get Chris Godwin more involved in the offense because he's back. He looks healthy. The last three weeks, he's got 28 targets, 90% route participation, 3.34 yards per route run. So um, job well done to David Canales for following through there and getting that done because Godwin looks great. You have Godwin and Evans playing at the level they're playing at, plus an emerging Trey Palmer who's given them some juice down the field. Uh, Rashad White, who has looked better than he's ever looked. Like the whole thing has kind of come together for them offensively. Yep. Um, you know, not not necessarily a team that's going to make any noise in the playoffs, but I do think they're they're scary. I don't know that I love you. You're going to love going to Tampa Bay to play them in the in the first round of the playoffs. So, anyways. Um, moving on, the other AFC South game that's the banger, the Colts versus the Texans. Where is this one being played? For whatever reason, I didn't throw that in my notes. Um, Colts versus Texans. Colts versus Texans. Colts uh, it's it's at in Indianapolis. It's in, it's in CJ Stroud's first it's game Saturday back. Night. Yeah, Saturday night. First game back since the concussion. I will say that I think I'm going to go Houston here. And hear me out. I know a lot of people are picking the Colts. They want to see the Minshew magic in the playoffs. The Colts defensive line has completely fallen apart. They have not played well, uh, despite the big investments they have across the board between, uh, what is it, DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart and Quiddy Pay and Adeo Odiambo. And there's just... It's just not working. They they rank nearly dead last in pressure rate, thirty three point eight percent. They don't blitz either. So like, not only do they not get pressure with four, they don't even try to get pressure with more. 
Ooh, that rhymed. I'm spitting bars. <laughs> uh, and then in the run, dude, their run defense is totally uh, like them and Tennessee have swapped places. Tennessee was really easy to run on early in the year. Colts are tough. The last eight games, uh, they've been brutal against the run. The last five games, they're 2.17 adjusted yards before contact per carry, which is horrendous. Like, Yikes. Legitimately horrendous. It is, you know, bottom five number in the league there. So, uh, so. I do think that this is a favorable matchup for Houston. They've been running the ball better of late. They get their quarterback back. Nico Collins is healthy. Noah Brown looks good. I, I just feel like Houston's going to go in and get it done. D'Amico Ryan's probably my coach of the year. Yeah, rightfully so. I think I, I'm torn on this game. I think it's, I think it's going to be a really close game, close matchup. Um, you know, they played week two, of this season. So I don't even know if you can really like draw from that a ton just because of the way CJ Stroud has developed. And like you said, the way that they've started to find their footing a little bit late in the season in the run game, this is a pretty much a completely different team compared to what the Colts play, what the Colts played in week two. Yeah. So I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to just, I think to be contrarian, I'm going to go with the Colts. I think that the way that uh, the Colts offense runs is going to give the Texans defense a little bit of trouble because so much of how this Colts offense is uh, run is that they, you know, it's all about getting the ball out quick. It is so it's a ton of RPO action. It is, it is just don't don't even put a lot of the, you know, a lot of like full field, big decision-making plays into Minshew's hands, just really kind of make it, you know, a binary thing of like you have one or two and it's, you know, hand the ball or you have, a you know, kind of a design slant, design stop, whatever you want route behind it. And then they take a couple, you know, a couple play action shots down the field every, every, um, every couple, you know, drives. Yep. And I think it's that a John we are running a college. It is, it is 100%. And it's, you know, all of, all the credit to Steichen. I think that he's really taken what Minshew's good at and he's, you know, built that offense around his strengths. And, you know, I think a lot of offensive coordinators, a lot of uh, coaches should take notes from that because that's kind of an important thing, play to your players' strengths. But um, (laughs) a big thing is I think that having Jonathan Taylor back and him being healthy right now, I think that that also helps them. And I think it'll be a close game. He does. And I, I I think it'll be a close game, but I just think that, the Colts will give the Texans defense enough troubles where their secondary has been playing. Okay. They've had moments where they've looked good, but for the most part over the course of the season, they've kind of struggled. It's a young, it's a kind of a young secondary with, and also with some guys who are just, um, you know, placeholders until they continue building out that secondary. And I think that they're going to put, I think that Steichen's going to put that defense in a lot of conflicts. He's going to prevent, um, Minshew from taking out a lot of pressure from those uh, from those edge rushers that Houston has, and I think that the Colts end up winning what ends up probably being kind of a shootout, in my opinion. I like it. So we were the same on everything until then. You're taking the Colts. I'm taking the Texans. I agree. It should be a close game. Um, ultimately, I, I'm just siding with who I, I think Stroud's a better quarterback right now than Minshew. I think Which game is, on the line. Yes. Yeah, I think game on game on the line situation. I trust Slowick and Stroud more than I trust Steichen and Minshew, which um, 
it is it is what it is so is, as long as it's close I, I feel good about the texans coming out on top so yeah i think it needs to be a point of a point of talking for the colts to like we can't we need to be the ones with the ball at the end of the yep. game we can't yep. let them have any time because stroud's shown that and listen the Colts secondary isn't very good if they get into a situation where there's a minute left and houston has you know a timeout or two and they you know it's go down and score yeah, yeah. i think i'm taking i'm taking houston in that scenario all right, the last the last game of the slate that we really care about is the Pittsburgh Baltimore game, and we're not sure the Ravens care about this game. So, um, I will say though, Steve, in a game where Pittsburgh has to win, I don't know why. I just feel like they're not going to win. <laughs> um, Tyler Huntley is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league. He can effectively do he's he's Lamar light, right? He can do Lamar things. In fact, he'll even be more inclined to run with the ball than Lamar probably yep. has been this year because he has less to lose. Um, the Pittsburgh defense has been weird. Their pressure rate at times has literally fallen off a cliff, but they do force the ball out faster than any team in the league. So it's it, I think their pressure rate at times has struggled because teams have acknowledged they have two really good pass rushers and we don't want to get caught with the ball in our hands. So they, they get the ball out quick. But in this offense, I think you could see that being a thing. Um where Baltimore makes that a concerted effort. Also, if they don't, Huntley is athletic, and I'm assuming he plays most of the game, by the way. Is Lamar even going to play at all? Do we know? I haven't seen anything definitively, but I think that we're pretty safe to assume that Lamar is probably not getting out on the field for much. Yeah, so Ravens are locked into the one seed. They they legitimately have nothing to play for, so Pittsburgh has to win to get in. I just – I don't know. I don't feel good about it for whatever reason. What do you – what say you? Is it so? It's it's more interesting to me of whether of who the Ravens play on defense. True, because if the Ravens play, you know, most of their starters on defense, because you know, obviously, you can't play all backups at every position. And it's just yeah. not really how it's just really not how it works. So you're going to have starters out there in, in spots, and I just I don't know if the Steelers can move the ball well against the Ravens. Now, granted, yeah. the Steelers' offense with Mason Rudolph has come alive in a, in a way, and they the have. running game, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris are starting to – Who I mean, I, they've just figured it out. I don't know if it's just the run game. Run game has finally come together, but, you know, they've kind of figured it out here. Um, I just – I don't know if the Steelers can confidently move the ball against the Ravens' defense, and I think that that could be their ultimate downfall. I mean, they played – Earlier this year, and that was, I mean, it was a fluke win by this by the Steelers. That everything had everything in the world had to go wrong for the Ravens, and they still had a chance to win, and they did they did it. But you know, the chance was there, and that was you know the perfect script for the Steelers to win, and it worked out in their favor. I don't think they get eight drops from receivers in the open field that could have gone for touchdowns, and I don't, I just. I just think the Mason Rudolph magic, so to say, is going to kind of run dry here. You know, he's been he's been hitting Pickens on the field a lot. Pickens has come alive since um, has come back alive since Rudolph's been in. But that is the one thing. To to your points, one thing Rudolph offers this offense that really Pickett and Trubisky didn't is just the ability to push the ball outside the numbers down the field. I talk about this literally all the time, Steve. It's my biggest issue with Pickett is he can't get the ball outside the numbers down the field and time and rhythm. He's not confident doing it. 
He made a couple of those throws in the preseason. We all got excited, and then it just died. We thought it was the offensive coordinator. It may have been. We don't really know. Um, but Rudolph is definitely getting the ball down the field outside the numbers. Pickens is thriving. Deontay Johnson's thriving. Like this is definitely, definitely a big upgrade there. Yeah, Which I never thought yeah. I would say. I know who how Trubisky won the backup job is beyond me. But I just I think that's what the Ravens want the Steelers to do is try and push the ball down the field. I think the Ravens trust their secondary against that type of offense. You know, I mean, the way Geno Stone's been playing, the way the secondary has been playing as a whole, they've, you know, kind of baited quarterbacks into going deep on them and it's resulted in turnovers and whatnot. And I just think that that, I think that'll end up pulling it out for the Ravens. But I think, I think just because the Ravens probably won't play all their starters, like Lamar Jackson won't play, Inevitably, it'll probably be a close game, but I just don't know if the Steelers have it to pull it out. Yep. Agree with you. Um, All right. Closing thoughts. I don't think I have any. I think we covered it. I think we got it. The only other scenario to be aware of is... Let's see. It is... Hold on. there's, There's one. Oh, the Seahawks. If they win, if they beat the Cardinals and the Packers lose to the Bears, the Seahawks are in, correct? And then the yep. Saints Falcons. Sorry, if the Saints beat the Falcons and the Buccaneers lose, the Saints will win that division. Correct. Yes. Yep. Yep. New Orleans is a losing out. Atlanta is a, is a losing out. Uh, Wait, Atlanta still alive? No. If they if they oh, win yeah. and Tampa Bay loses, they can win. They can win the NFC South. Oh, yeah. Anybody can win the NFC South right now. The Except problem is Tampa. Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay plays Carolina, so yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But it, it you know this. I think that the, this is the this is the NFL's dream this week. Is oh yeah, all of these of scenarios is exactly what this 18th week was supposed to get to, and. It's it, you know both both years now it's worked out in the NFL's favor. Yep, Over the last the last two years it's worked out where uh, almost every game on the slate has some sort of meaning. Yep. All right, that's gonna do it. We are out of here. Week eighteen. Enjoy it, people. It's gonna be awesome. Stay tuned to content coming out on FantasyPoints.com, especially if you want early access to really good draft takes from the guy who does a draft guide at fantasy points. Um, you would have known about Jaden Reed and Rashi Rice and Puka Nakua and Zay Flot. Like, well, Zay was a first round pick, so I, I'm not going to put a feather <laughs> in about that, but um, all those other guys, Tank Dell, you know, I was high on all those guys. So you'll get early access to takes that uh, will get you aligned with, with uh, what actually happens on the football field. So anyways, check it out. Content will be coming soon. Um, I go to Mobile in three weeks, Steve. I'm excited about that. That is um, exciting. It's going to be a banger this year, too. Like Bo Nix is yeah, there's already a- confirmed to go. Sounds like Penix is going to go. We have yep. Nix and Penix, the best two quarterbacks we've had there since Herbert Hurts. It's been a while, so going to be exciting. Anyways, it's going to do it for us. We are out. Enjoy the week. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.